Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. How's everybody doing this morning? How's everybody doing? Okay, you have to have a little more energy than that. How's everybody doing this morning? Thank you. That's nice. I like to hear that. Well, welcome to Stevens Creek Church. Uh, like Pastor Kelly said, I'm Pastor Brent, and I'm the campus pastor at our South Augusta campus. And I'm excited to close out our series with you all today. Uh, before we get started, I want to say one thing that, as many of you know, Pastor Marty's mom, uh, Trevor, she is today celebrating in heaven with the Jesus that she so faithfully served for so many years. And while we celebrate in that, we also grieve with our leader and his family. So Pastor Marty, for me and all of us who call you pastor and leader and friend and mentor and so much more, we just want to say that our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers go out to you and your family. Now, also, I want to take a moment to recognize that we are one church in multiple locations. And because I am the South Augusta campus pastor, can we just pause a moment and celebrate everybody who's watching at our South Augusta location? Yeah, God is doing some incredible things at our Peach Orchard location. I wish I could tell you all about it, but I just can't for the sake of time. But just know God's doing amazing things in South Augusta. So you're also, we have some people that might be watching virtually, online, on Facebook, however you're watching. We just want to say welcome to the creek. But today I'm closing out the passages that pump me up with a scripture reference that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start with the later part of verse 7. But before we do that, I want to quickly give you some context behind the scripture that I chose for my message today. So Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church and Uh, In the the first part of this letter, he's telling them about the revelations and the gifts and the visions that he's been given uh, by God, whether he says outer body or inner body, he's not sure, but they're, they're visions and revelations that normal people can't comprehend or even imagine. And we know easily this could have made Uh, Paul boastful and proud. And so this is where we find our scripture reference starting in the latter part of verse 7. If you have your word, you can follow along with me. It says, Paul says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. And so three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Some translation says, I pleaded with God. I begged the Lord to take it away. But in verse 9, he says, each time God said that my grace is all that you need. My power is best in weakness. So now, Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And so that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. That is why I take pleasure in my insults, in my hardships, in my persecutions, in my troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then, then I am strong. Can we just take a moment and ask God to just give us a new and fresh revelation of him today? God, I just thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, God, for your love and your mercy and the grace. Lord, I pray that you would just give us a new revelation of the sufficiency of your grace and that you are enough for us in every season that we may find ourselves. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 
I have a cousin that I grew up with that's my age, and because of that, um, my dad and her dad would take turns dropping us off at school uh, before we were able to drive. And I remember one particular instance in middle school. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but middle school is a dog-eat-dog world. This is survival of the fittest. Now's not the mess around, not the time to mess around, because if something happens to you in middle school, it follows you. Right, so, so I, especially me, I had a speech impediment and I wore thick glasses, so I did everything I could to stay in my lane. I didn't wanna draw any attention to me. Already, I already had too much attention on me. So here I am with my cousin and my uncle, we're sitting in the car drop-off line and he had this old black F-150 and wouldn't you know it, the truck randomly stops. Right? It, just, it just, it quits. And I'm, I'm just, I'm out of my mind right now because this is the end of the world for me. I'm a, I mean, I can, listen, I, I cannot get out and push this truck or my life is over. And so my cousin and I, we locked eyes with the fear of a thousand sons because we knew this was a pivotal part in our life and in our story. And of course, I'm being a, a little dramatic, but I'm honest, I was scared. And so I grew up laying hands on the sick. And so I knew that this truck was sick and in the next 15 seconds needed to be healed or my life was over, my social life was done. And so instinctively I laid my hands on this truck and I prayed the fire of heaven would fall fresh on this F-150. <laughs> and as sure as I did, boom, the truck cranked right up. And my cousin and I, we, we celebrated that victory together because our social lives were saved and we were so excited for that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But I tell you that story because on the other hand, as we grew up, I was a young man. I met another young man who I have the honor to call my brother now. His name is Starling. We met in a small group. I met him when he was walking with a cane. And this moment changed our lives because my wife, Jill, and I, we now met somebody that we don't call friend, but we call family. Even the distance that we live apart today doesn't keep us from experiencing life together. He is our brother. And I told you, we met in the small group and he was walking with the cane. And here's the thing about Starling, that his heart is so big, you can fit the whole world in it. He gives generously, he prays ceasingly, and, and, and he just, he's the armor bearer that everybody just needs in their life. The problem is, is that Starling battles his own disease called multiple sclerosis. And because of that, one day, Starling went to the doctor and got a, another prognosis about his disease. And this time, it was that no longer was his MS relapsing, but it was progressive, meaning no longer would it get better and get worse, get better, get worse, get better, but it was going to continually progress negatively over his life. And of course, this was devastating to all of us. It was devastating to Starling. It was devastating to our family that really adopted him into our lives. It was devastating to our church. And multiple times we had multiple people pray over him for his healing. Even myself, those same hands, I laid on him and prayed, God, heal my brother Starling. But now Starling finds himself in a wheelchair, unable to do many of the things that he once used to could do. Which brings me to ask this question. Why would God do something seemingly so insignificant, like answer a prayer for a middle school boy who's worried about his social life, and not something so important like healing my brother? And many of you may find yourselves in some form or some way asking the same question and in the same situation. You've been praying for your marriage. You've been praying for that job. You've been praying for your children. And it just seems like you can't get past this season of your life. 
Well, this letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church really pumps me up because no matter where we find ourselves in, in our seasons of our life, that we can relay and apply what Paul is going through to, to all of our lives. And so no matter where you are in this spectrum of life, I know that we can find something hopeful and practical through Paul's experience. Now, I love one of the many quotes that Pastor Marty gives us around the office. And Pastor, forgive me if it's not exactly like you say it, but this is how I hear it. He always says that God never wastes a pain or a problem, but he always turns it for our good and his glory. Essentially, Paul is saying the same thing in this letter to the Corinthian church. And as we all find ourselves today navigating those seasons of our life, I hope to encourage you with three points about Paul's experience on prayer. And the first one, if you're taking notes, is that true prayer isn't about getting our way, but surrendering our will. True prayer isn't about getting what we want, but surrendering our will to the one who holds the future. In fact, Jesus himself gives us this revelation in his life and a couple of times in the Bible, the first one being when he was asked, well, how do you pray? And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Never said selfishly pray that what you want happens, but he says, pray this, that, that God's will be done in your life. The next time we get this revelation from Jesus is when he's asking for something to be taken from him. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and right before he's about to be crucified, he knows the suffering that's coming. And he says this, he says, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, God, let it pass. But he follows up with this, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, because Jesus knew there was greater purpose in the suffering. What happens when God's will doesn't line up with our prayer? What happens when what we want doesn't necessarily line up with what God's will is for our life in this moment? And this is a challenge that if I'm honest with you today, I have found struggling with in my own life in multiple occasions. But here's what Paul writes in verse seven. He says, so, keep me, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. And then in verse eight, he says, Three different times I begged the Lord, I pleaded with God to take this away from me. Now here's some context on Paul. Paul used to be called Saul, and he lived a whole different life. He was actually a, a, a persecutor of the, those who believed in Jesus. He, in fact, went to the extent, extent of, of giving the okay to, to execute believers. But one day he had a transformative moment on a road called Damascus that changed everything for him. Even his name, his name no longer was Saul, but Paul. And no longer was he persecuting, but he was the one being persecuted. No longer was he stoning those who, who spoke about the goodness of Jesus, but now he's the one that was being stoned and left for dead. And multiple times he was beaten with rods and with whips and, and imprisoned falsely. And there are some times where he would go and deliver the message across the sea that he was shipwrecked and snake bitten. And all of this happened while he was still writing half of the New Testament that we have today. All of this while still getting visions and revelations from God. All of this while still teaching and, and telling people that, that God is, in fact, the Messiah. So if anybody deserved to have a prayer answered, I feel like Paul's at the top of that list, in my opinion. In fact, in my own limited understanding, I'm like, God, God, don't you know who this is? 
This is the Apostle Paul. He's delivering the hope that is your message all across his territory, and he's being beaten and flogged and imprisoned and stoned because of this. Can't you just answer and give him what he's asking for? And not only that, in my limited understanding, I'm like, give the man some Nikes. Like, don't let his feet hurt, God. I'm like, this is Paul. But Paul wrote, he said, three times I begged that this thorn would leave. Three different times I pleaded with the Lord And I don't mean like random times. I'm talking about like intimate, intentional, purposeful times. This wasn't a after dinner, I'm gonna lay my head down to sleep and God, if you have time, then then if, if you could do this for me, then I'd be grateful. No, this was moments of prayer and fasting. Remember, this is the same Paul who wrote in Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious for anything, but in all things through prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul was essentially taking his own advice here, and and Paul puts a number on it. He says, three times I did this, but but many believe that he was actually using a, a Hebrew figure of speech, what more than likely meant that he ceaselessly, he continuously prayed, God, let this thorn leave me. Let this season of torment leave me. And we don't really know what the thorn was, but I believe that the vagueness of the thorn is intentional because it allows us to apply Paul's season and Paul's experience to our own lives. Some believe that his thorn was something physical like a migraine or a bad eyesight, or maybe he had arthritis. Some believe that it was more spiritual, that there was a temptation that he just couldn't get past. Some even say that it was a mental, uh, a mental thorn, that he had depression or he suffered with PTSD from all the co- constant people that he watched be uh, executed because of the faith that na- he now served. People like Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian faith, who Paul actually oversaw the execution of. We don't know what that thorn is. And maybe like Paul, you find yourself with a thorn that not a lot of people know about. A thorn, a a, a trial in your life, like depression that keeps you so emotionally drained that you feel worthless and no good. Maybe your thorn is the marriage that is, is crumbling and falling apart. Maybe you can't sleep at night because your kids are not serving the Lord and you're, you're, you're worried about them and what's gonna happen to them and you find yourself in deliberate seasons of prayer like Paul. Intentional moments pleading with God to heal your body, to touch your mind, to save your children, to redeem your marriage and you're struggling to find hope. If that's you today, I wanna encourage you with the second point on prayer that we find through Paul's experience is this, that prayer reminds us that we're not in control but it keeps us close to the one who is. Prayer reminds us that we don't have the power to heal the sick, but it keeps us close to the one who conquered hell, death, and the grave. Prayer reminds us that we don't have the power to speak stuff into existence, but we serve a God who can. And Paul reminds us of the outcome of his prayers. He says in verse nine, each time he said, my grace is all that you need. God says, my power works best in weakness. See, God had a response for Paul's prayer. And even though the response wasn't initially what Paul had hoped for or even what he expected, 
God still had a response for Paul. And the fear is, is that when the response doesn't line up with what we want, we tune God off and we miss the experience. We miss the grace. We miss what God is doing in us and through us. But the response to this is everything. God's response to Paul was grace. And not just any kind of grace, but God's amazing grace. One scholar says this about this interaction between Paul and God is that that God's grace is him freely extending himself, leaning and reaching down to us because he is disposed to be near us. He is inclined to be near us. Paul was saying, God, heal this, change this, remove this, do this. But God said, no, Paul, my grace is enough. I'm with you in this. And, and God is saying, I'm inclined to be near you. And though you may not see it now, there is benefit to me being enough. If I can be so bold today, then God is saying the same thing that no matter what season you find yourself in, there is benefit to him being enough. See, instead of taking away the thorn that Paul had, God strengthened him under it. And countless times, God will show his strength through Paul's apparent weakness. But in order to do this, Paul had to recognize and accept that he was insufficient. One translation says that God's grace, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul had to believe that his grace was sufficient in his own weakness. Because you see, we can't receive the sufficiency of God's grace until we know our own weakness until we recognize our own insufficiency, until we realize our need for the perfect creator. But if you're anything like me, there are times where you're telling God exactly what you want, what you think that you need in life. God, I need this, and if you would do this, then I would be able to do this for you. God, if you would heal my marriage, then I'd be able to to speak into couples better. God, if you would heal my body, I could travel around the world and do this for you. God, if you would do this, then I could do this. And the challenge is, is that God can, but it's when he says, not now. It's when he says, my grace is enough for you in this moment. When he says, at your weakest, I am the strongest. Because God can do so much more in our weakest moments with him than we could ever do in our strongest moments without him. It's kind of one of those moments that you really have to experience for yourself. See, I, I grew up in the church world my whole life, and I've, I've heard this over and over again. How are you making it through this season? How are you getting through this trial? How are you surviving? And, and over and over again, I hear the same response. It's only by the grace of God. It's only through God's grace. Well, what does that mean? And I wish I had the perfect example to give you. There are some holes in this, but I want to encourage you with this. This is the only way that I could really look to explain it God's grace is like this. I've seen my grandmother cry three times in my life. She's a strong woman. I've seen her cry three times in my whole life. The first time being when we were in a church service and the God's spirit was just moving so heavily on her life that she broke down in tears. The second time was when she talked about retiring from her longtime profession as a nurse. She loved being a nurse. She loved serving her community in that area. And the third time was when our family had, had a tragedy. Remember at the beginning of the story or service, I told you that I had a cousin that was my age. And as we became young adults, somehow my strong and powerful cousin, she 
allowed this abusive and neglectful and angry man uh, manipulate her and trick her into marrying him and, and moving away from her family that loved her and supported her. We all saw it. We all saw the manipulation but her. And so she was an adult and there was nothing we could do. She had to make this, her mind up for herself. And so uh, in moments like this, our family kind of hits a panic button. We all showed up at my grandmother's house because we knew my aunt was gonna need some support. My cousin had just left. They called the cops and, and the cops couldn't stop her because she's an adult. She was making this decision herself. And so my aunt walked into the door of my grandmother's house with all of us there and she locked eyes with my grandmother. And she was in her late 40s at the time and she fell to the ground crying and weeping and screaming uncontrollably. And in this moment was the third time I ever saw my grandmother cry. She rushed over to her adult, adult daughter, wrapped her loving arms around her and said, mama is here, baby mama is here. And the, the rest of that night, she would rub her hair and say, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Everything's gonna be okay. I'm here for you. And God's grace is a lot like this. That even though the trial didn't end there, her presence was enough in that moment. And even though we find ourselves in trials and, 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 and seasons of turmoil and, and thorns in our life, his grace, his presence is enough for us. He wants to be enough. He's saying, my, my grace is enough through your trial. My grace is enough through your hardship. It's enough through your persecution. It's enough through the things that you don't understand. And he just wants to wrap his comfort and his love and his mercy around us and say, I'm here for you. My grace is enough. And so I don't leave you hanging with the story. And to celebrate God's goodness, my cousin found her way back to the faith and was able to escape the relationship and the manipulation and now serves the Lord faithfully with a husband and a child of her own, telling women all about the goodness of God through their relationship. And God wants to do that for all of us. But this naturally brings me to the third point that I wanna talk about through this experience in Paul's letter. And maybe this is the most challenging and difficult one for all of us, is that prayer is not just asking, but trusting. Prayer is not just getting what we want out of God, but trusting that he knows best for our lives, trusting that he holds all power and authority in his hands, trusting that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Now, it's important that we recognize and don't misconstrue what I'm saying. Prayer is asking, okay? The Bible says that we have not because we ask not. Prayer is asking. And if somebody comes to me and asks for a specific prayer, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna be specific and intentional about that prayer. Listen, I'm specifically asking God to heal my brother Starling. I'm specifically asking him to take heart disease from my father and epilepsy from my sister and depression from my friends and family. I'm asking for those things, but more importantly than that, I'm trusting him with my prayers. I'm trusting him with the outcome. So Paul asked God to remove that thorn, but in the end, he trusted the sufficiency of God's grace. And so he writes this. He says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. And that doesn't make any sense. 
now I'm boasting about the areas that I'm weak in. I'm celebrating those things that I'm weak in. Isn't that the ultimate oxymoron? Celebrating weaknesses? It doesn't make sense. But Paul knew that in his weakness, Christ's power serves a greater purpose. And he continues to say, so that the power of Christ can work through me. In verse 10, he says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. That's why I take pleasure in my insults, in my hardships, in my persecutions, in my troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was saying, only then in my weakness am I truly strong. Only then when I have uh, nowhere else to depend but on the sufficiency of God can I truly be the humble servant that he's called me to be. It's in these moments of my own weakness, if I can make it personal to me and apply it to me. It's in these moments of my own weakness and my own trials that I delight in what I wouldn't choose for myself because it is in these moments that I truly find that intimate closeness with God because I have nowhere else to turn. See, it's not the successes that help get me through the day and and, and get me in my relationship with God, but it's those moments where I, I need him more than anything else in my life. See, my ministry is what it is today, and I'm here before you today because God said no. So what if we changed our perspective just a little bit? What if instead we delighted? What if instead we boasted about those things that we're struggling with? What if we delighted in the singleness because it is in that singleness that we have to rely wholly and fully on the relationship that we have with God? What if we delighted in just having enough because it is in our insufficiency that that God truly proves himself faithful and as our provider? What if we changed our perspective and delighted in this season that we find ourselves in right now? I asked Starlin the other day about his battle with multiple sclerosis. I really think he said it best. He He said, I I wouldn't go back and and choose it again. But now that I've been through it, I wouldn't change anything. That really, like, messed me up. And so he elaborated a little bit after a little bit of conversation. And he said this. He said, it's in those moments where the pain is so bad that it wakes me up at 2 a.m. that I have the greatest prayer moments of my life. It's in those moments where I can't sleep because of the pain that, that I get to pray for you and and Jillian, and Tinsley, and Ian, and my friends, and my family, and my church. He said, it's in the moments where I, I need help getting out of bed that I'm reminded of the faithfulness of God and the revelation of how good he is that really keeps me going. He said, it's in this journey that keeps me and God on a moment-to-moment, day-to-day relationship. And then Starlin really said something that just It messed me up. It wrecked me to my core. He said, I love who I am with God and with multiple sclerosis a lot better than I loved who I was whole without him. He found the the sufficiency, the grace in his weakness. And so here's my challenge for all of us, no matter where you're at in this journey. Maybe you're at the South Augusta campus and you find yourself in, in a a hard moment right now. You find yourself struggling through a, a trial in your life and you're praying and you're asking God and it just seems like there's no hope at the end of the tunnel. 
Maybe you're watching online and you just got through one of these seasons and you haven't yet found the benefit of that season and you're tired and you're weary and you're worn down and you're, you're just, you're tired. Or maybe you're here and, and you've already been through that season. Multiple years have passed and you, like Paul, see the benefit in this season of your life. You see the good that came from that trial, that thorn. No matter where you are in your life, I wanna challenge you with three things that my wife and I do in our own life that we're gonna teach our kids. And it comes straight from this scripture that pumps me up. Three things, number one, do what you can do. Do what you can do. If it's sickness, then go to the doctor. If it's finances, then make a budget. If it's your children that's not serving the Lord, then pray continuously, pray and pray and pray for their lives. But once you do what you can do, give God what you can't do. You do the impossible and let God do the impossible. You give God what you can't do. Listen, you can't make money appear out of thin air, but I know a God that's in the Bible said that he put money in a fish's mouth. You can't heal somebody in your family, but I know a God who died on a cross, was buried, but the stone couldn't hold him or keep him in the grave. Do what you can do, but then let God do what you can't do. And here's the third thing, and maybe the most challenging. Trust God no matter what. Trust him with his response, even if it isn't what you initially hoped for or expected. Trust him even if he's saying, right now, my grace is sufficient. In this moment, in this season, in this trial, in this circumstance, I am enough for you. But you see, we can't do that if we don't realize our own weakness and our own need for our Savior. We can't do that if we don't believe in the sufficiency of who God is. And my hope and my prayer for all of you, whether you're here watching online or at South Augusta, my hope and my prayer for you is that at the end of the season, like Paul, you may not fully understand why, but you're thankful for it. Because you see the benefit in God being enough. But here's the thing. If you haven't fully committed your whole heart, your whole life to him, then you'll never understand just how good God can be in your weakness. You can never understand and fully experience his power in the seasons of our weakest moments and the hardest trials. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that you find the weakness in your life without him. I wanna pray that you see the error in not living a life where Christ is the strongest thing in your life. I wanna pray for you that, that are going through a trial by yourself right now because you've never experienced God in a fresh and new way. I wanna pray that you would see the, the, the sufficiency in him the goodness in him that, that he is enough for you. And it's easy. God gave it to us. It's a gift from him. And it's, it's just saying a prayer, but it's not just the words we say, but it's, it's the action that we apply to our life. It's the hope and the belief in our heart. So I'm gonna pray for you, but I also wanna pray for those of you who may be like Paul, you're doing everything right. You're living a life for him. You're have a good prayer life. You're serving and create kids. You're 
coming to church on a regular basis, you're doing everything right, but you find yourself in this season of trial and you have this thorn that you're battling with that nobody knows about and you're weary and you're tired and you're burned out. I wanna pray for you. I want you to know that God sees you where you are. God sees you in your loneliness, in your depression, in your anxiety, in your fears. God sees you. And so can we just take a moment to pray together? First, those of you who do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, those who have not fully committed your life, this moment is made for you. This is your chance. This is your time. So we're gonna pray together. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. And God, I, wanna, I don't wanna rush through this moment. God, I, wa- I wanna say, Lord, if there's someone here who has not fully committed themselves wholly to you, God, if they've not fully experienced what life could be with your power and with your grace and with your sufficiency, God, I pray that you would help them to recognize the need for you that they would see the, that, that, that with you, God, these trials and these tribulations and these troubles become easier to bear because, God, you carry the burden for us. So, God, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you that has not fully committed themselves to you, God, I pray that they would pray this prayer. And if that's you, just real subtly, just put your hands out and just pray this prayer with me. God, I accept you. God, I believe in you. God, I believe that you are everything that I need, that you are sufficient in my weakness, that your power is made perfect in my weakness. And God, I've been doing life alone for too long, God. I've been without you through this journey for too long. So today, God, I know this moment is set aside for me, God. I pray that your spirit, God, that you, that you would move in me, Lord, that you would give me new thoughts, that you would give me new prayers, that you would give me new insights to who you are, God. God, I accept you as my savior. I accept your strength and your faithfulness. I believe in you, God. I believe that you can do more in my weakness than I could ever do in my own strength without you, God. God, I confess everything to you. I confess my sin. I confess everything to you, God. Come into my life, God. Now, those of you who are struggling, you're tired and you're weary, you're burned out, you're doing all the things right, God, I pray that you would encourage them. If that's you, just, if you would lift your hands out and and receive the peace that God wants to offer you today. He sees you where you are. He knows the moments where you're alone crying because you're overwhelmed. He sees you, mom, who is full of anxiety. He sees you, dad, who doesn't know how you're gonna pay that next paycheck. He sees you. God, I pray that you would encourage them and lift them up in your grace. Let them know that your sufficiency is greater than their insufficiency, that your power is bigger than their weakness, God. That in these moments that they don't fully understand it, God, that they see you, God, In the moment, God, that they may not fully understand it, they see you working in the background, God. Even when they don't see it or even when they don't feel it, they know that you're working, God, because you are the way maker, God. You are the miracle worker. You are the sufficiency that we need, God. And we thank you for that. And it's in your name we pray, amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.